What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Dave, and welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast, episode 37 today. And it's an exciting one in celebration of the college football season kicking off um, and our first round of big games happening. Uh, This is going to be a college football-themed episode, so I'm excited for that. Um, But before we get into all of that, Mike's going to give the prompt for off the top. What's up, everybody? This is Mike. And, you know, you just had to say it's going to be a college football themed episode because my off the top is not about college football. It's close, though. Now, if you listen to episode 36, you'll know that that was our NFL themed episode, our preseason episode for the 2022 NFL season, where we did our NFL tier list. And one thing that kept coming up during that episode was like, oh, we don't know how this team's going to look. We don't know how this player's going to be. We don't know how, you know, this and that and the other. So I wanted to ask Dave, you know, with all the questions that we have going into the 2022 NFL season, I want to get your top three, like, big questions, three things that you're curious about for the 2022 NFL season. For example, like, oh, was the Bengals Super Bowl run an absolute fluke or, you know, whatever. Like that could be player, team, coach, whatever. Uh, Three things that you want to see through this season. All right. I think, and this is just first things that come to my head because that's what this segment is about. Uh, Number one, can Tom Brady still do it? And, And can he lead the league in passing again? Can he show everyone that he was right to unretire and come back and play one more year. I know that I have kind of given him a hard time on this podcast for doing so, or at least in the manner that he did it. Let's see, can he still do it? I mean, at this point, I don't think that I can doubt him, but I am interested to see exactly how he does and how the Bucks do. You know, we put them as favorites in our tier list. So that's definitely one that I'm interested to to watch. I think another thing is uh, at the running back position. I'm interested to see how uh, McCaffrey does this year. Can he stay healthy? Same with Derrick Henry. Um, We've seen some interesting backfields like the Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Like I know they're paying Zeke a lot of money, but if he continues to not have that same burst, will they, will Tony Pollard take over and and be the main back there? Um, And then I guess probably third is I guess you can look at some of the rookies and say, you know, who's going to win rookie of the year, uh, you know, offensively they're typically we're, we're probably looking at receivers, but maybe like Brees Hall has a really good season for the jets at quarterback. I mean, no quarterback is slated to start week one. Maybe we'll see Kenny Pickett. Maybe we'll see Desmond Ritter. I mean, other than that, like I'm not sure if if we're really gonna. I mean, maybe Malik Willis if Ryan Tannehill is not doing it for for him, but I think he's still kind of far away. So it'll be interesting to see who who kind of wins that offensive rookie of the year award. Uh, I mean, we've got some receivers, like I said, Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, all come to mind as as potential candidates. But I think those those three or or three that come to mind right away. Okay. So I like that. I like that there are a couple of notable omissions and, and that's good because, you know, a lot of these, uh, like news stations or whatever, I'll just kind of play the same talking points over and over again. So I'm happy to see that like number one wasn't, Oh, Russell Wilson on the Broncos, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, I, so I like this list. I want to like, keep an eye on these throughout the NFL season and see like, Oh, like let's see what these answers end up being to these questions. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it was literally just the first three things that popped into my head. So, I mean, yeah, Russell Wilson on the Broncos will be very interesting, but well, that's what off the top is right off the top of your head. And so, Hey, coming from a Tom Brady fan, I appreciate that. That was number one. Well, I also drafted him for one of my fantasy (laughs) teams. So I'm like, Please don't let this year this year be the year, bro. But we believe. I'm um, speaking of 
I noticed during that draft you didn't draft Christian McCaffrey. So Yeah, I I had the choice between McCaffrey and Cup, both of whom I had last year. Obviously, Cup was the fantasy MVP probably, and McCaffrey barely played. So when it came time to decide between those two, I was like, well, I have the guy who screwed me over last year. Well, I still won, <laughs> but who like could have potentially screwed me over last year. And then the guy who carried me all the way, I got to go with Cooper Cup again. So, you know, even if McCaffrey is healthy and dominates, I I won't regret it too, too much because I know Cooper Cup's going to have another good year. Please go to, uh, the only thing is like, just please don't get injured. <laughs> like that would be the most ironic thing. McCaffrey completely healthy season, absolutely dominates. Cooper cup goes down in week one with an ACL or something. It's everybody knock on wood right now. All right. So you've heard here first what Dave is looking to find out from this NFL season. When we come back, we're going to get into the college football season, what's happened so far and what we're looking at going forward. All right, everybody, we're back ready to break down some college football. We kind of have like three different parts to this segment. First one, we're going to go over the two biggest games from this past weekend, Notre Dame and Ohio State and Georgia versus Oregon. Then we're going to each break down three things to watch in the coming weeks. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up with our thoughts on the expanded playoff. So Mike, why don't you go ahead and start by... uh, kind of recapping that Ohio State and Notre Dame game. Well, obviously being a Michigan fan, I was pulling for Notre Dame the whole time. And around halftime, I'm like, yo, there's a chance here. This is exciting. Notre Dame's- So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Notre Dame's up like 10 to 7, right? Uh, Both teams' defenses are looking nice. Both teams' offenses struggling to get anything like worth writing home about going. Uh. Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. First of all, don't get it twisted. I would never wish for a player to be injured. But, you know, he was hurt at the beginning of the game, and I was just like, well, you know, their star receiver's not playing. That bodes well for this game. You know, in the most humane way possible. <laughs> um, don't And don't worry. Uh, it's not too bad. He's probably just going to miss, like, one or two weeks and neither of their games in the next two weeks are, you know, anything to worry about. So that's not an issue. Anyway, then Ohio state did what Ohio state does and just kind of started to get their feet going by that. I mean, how does Ohio state always, always have a good running back and then a good backup running back? What kind of crap? Like, Every year, it's the previous year's backup, now starting, showing why he could have started anywhere else, and then some new backup, who I know in one or two years will be the new starter running all over everybody. This is stupid. Freaking Travion Henderson. Yeah, great. And now we have this Mayan Williams. This is so dumb. They both average six yards a carry, and, and that's after a slow start in the in the first quarter. And also... Ohio State's defense, I look at their linebackers, it's like they're running five safeties out there. They're so freaking athletic. They're just zooming to the ball. Oh, so annoying. Anyway, all that to say, Ohio State eventually pulled away for this 21-10 to victory. And it never felt like they ran away with it, necessarily. It's just that, like, there was this, uh, this one point, I think it was early in the fourth quarter, where they just just kept handing it off to their running backs and they just ran it all the way down the uh down the field so methodically and they just wore Notre Dame out. And so like I think coming into the season, you know, deservedly so, CJ Stroud, a bunch of attention on him as a Heisman front runner. And he wasn't at all the reason they won the game. It's not like he was bad, but like this Ohio State team has two great backs a great defense, and then to add to that, this great quarterback that they didn't even need to be awesome to beat a good Notre Dame team. This this terrifies me. Not to not to mention one of the best receivers in the nation, like you mentioned earlier, who got hurt. Like they like, okay, well let's just run the ball down your throat then <laughs> see what you can do about it. Cool. So yeah, so obviously a really big win for Ohio State to kick off their campaign. Notre Dame 
that's a tough way to to start your season, um, especially first year coach. I mean, Notre Dame looked competitive for the majority of the game, so I think you ha- you have to give them credit because it's Ohio State. It's always going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, facing Ohio State week one is tough, but it's also just deflating when you blow a halftime lead to a team that I don't know. It just I can't think of a better word than deflating because at halftime you should be feeling good and then all of a sudden you just watch it slip away because you can't stop the run. Technically, their playoff hopes aren't shot, but I just don't I can't trust this team after that. I I couldn't feel comfortable calling it over for them. Another team that <laughs> I feel very comfortable calling it over for is the Oregon Ducks. My oh my, what a Sad, sad performance this was by by Oregon. I mean, they first of all, under pressure. <laughs> that they did. Uh, first of all, it looked like Georgia was playing one of these cupcake teams, <laughs> like all like a bunch of the other top teams in the country were. I mean, if you knew nothing about college football and you were watching, you would have thought that, like, wait, is this like Oregon, like? The University of Oregon, it's not like the University of Eastern Oregon Tech. I don't know, or technical college or whatever. I don't know. It was it was embarrassing. I mean, Dan Lanning, his first year as as the head coach of Oregon, has to face his former team that just won the championship. And sure, they lost a decent amount of pieces. I'm not I'm not saying that um it was the exact same team but like he knew all these defensive guys he knew all their strengths their weaknesses and a lot of their offensive guys too and he his guys could just do nothing to stop them i mean that's as far as homecomings go like that's that's a pretty tough one to take another thing i mean stetson bennett i think it's time to just stop questioning this guy i mean even if like sure, I think he answered all the questions by winning the championship last year and playing really well in the playoffs. But in that first game, I mean, he looked poised, he looked in control, he looked like he was ready to go, ready to repeat. I was very impressed by by him. Uh, the Georgia defense. I mean, like I said, they lost a bunch of pieces. Uh, I mean, how many defenders did they get drafted again? I don't even know how many. It was more than five. And here's the thing. They did not record a single sack in the game, which could potentially be concerning if you think about it. But honestly, like they didn't even need to. They they forced two turnovers. They forced two interceptions. Oregon had a couple of drives where they, they looked threatening and then they just kind of petered out. They weren't able to actually uh, force it into the end zone. And Georgia looked very comfortable all game. I was very impressed by them. I don't think that the pieces that they lost are really going to affect them too, too much. I mean, the linebackers, that was kind of the one area for me where I thought they were a little bit lacking. Of course, they lost like their top like three linebackers from last year. So, of course, it's going to be a little tough. But for the most part, Georgia looks stacked and they look ready to, to go on another run um, to the SEC championship game. Yeah, Georgia. Oh, it pains me to say this. Georgia's no joke. Uh, first of all, Bo Nix, poor guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he still can't escape Georgia. <laughs> you you play three years at three years at Auburn, you lose to Georgia every time, and then you you're like, okay, well check this out. I'm going to transfer to a whole other conference on the other side of this country. He he gets there, and he's just like, wait. You scheduled who week one? <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's like, wait, am I in the Pac-12? Or like, <laughs> is this like all been a dream and I'm actually still stuck in the SEC losing to these guys? It's like, where where was I supposed to go to escape this nonsense? Bo Nix still can't beat Georgia. Dan Lan- the, the Kirby Smart coaching tree <laughs> where Dan Lanning starts his path getting demolished by his former boss. It's kind of funny. Um, also, let me do a little that's disrespectful real quick. So Georgia gets a number three preseason ranking in the nation, presumably based on 
questions about Stetson Bennett, which you just effectively dismissed or, you know, disproved. And the fact that they lost six, seven defensive starters. Okay, that's fine. I can live with that. Then they come out and they smack around Oregon, who was ranked 11th. And yeah, you you said it. They may as well have been playing like Oregon Agricultural Technical Community College State. The, the way they like beat the brakes off of them. Meanwhile, Alabama beat Utah State 55 to nothing. Okay. As you may have guessed, Utah State is not ranked. And Alabama did almost the same thing to the number 11 team in the nation, and you still have Alabama 1, Georgia 2 in the updated rankings, and this is the defending champs? That's disrespectful. Like, what? Are you gonna, are you worried about hurting Nick Saban's feelings? Give me a break. Like, I hate Georgia. They deserve to be number 1 right now. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I think it's like death taxes and Alabama will be ranked number one at the beginning <laughs> of the season is basically how it goes. But yeah, that the SEC, I mean, once again, it looks stacked. It's, it's every single year now. I mean, it's going to be the SEC and the Big Ten. It's very interesting. But moving on, this next part, we're going to each go through uh, three things to watch in the uh, coming weeks. Mike, what's your first thing? KJ Jefferson, Arkansas's quarterback. Okay, this dude is fun. He led his team in rushing yards and passing yards last season. He's coming back. There's um, excitement around him. And I think that's just, first of all. Second of all, look out for him as a, as a Heisman possibility. Like, this dude was balling. And he started that potential Heisman campaign with a win against number 23 Cincinnati, who, by the way, is feeling the loss of those NFL play, like now NFL players, uh, losing their two cornerbacks and quarterback hurt them something fierce because, yeah, I mean, it's not like they got cooked. They only lost 31 to 24, but, you know, that get that number 23 preseason ranking, which was basically the committee just saying like, eh, you made the playoffs last year. We have to give you something. Well, and then they get booted right out of it. But KJ Jefferson's exciting. He's a dual threat quarterback. You know we love those. Uh, and not only should he be a Heisman candidate, he should also be a, a first round draft pick. I imagine going into next year. So I think he would have to slip up something fierce to not be a first round pick. Yeah, that's a bold take. I don't. I don't think I've seen his name really pop up in the like potential top quarterbacks for the 2023 draft, which kind of leads me into one of my things to watch, which is the battle for the top quarterback in the 2023 draft. I mean, going into the season, it was, is it going to be CJ Stroud or is it going to be Bryce Young? Like those two guys are kind of the top two, but there are so many others. I mean, uh, Van Dyke for Miami, as much as I hate to say it, like he looked good in his first game. A lot of it's just kind of been hype, but We'll see. I mean, Miami had you know plays some some tough teams, so that'll that'll be interesting to see like how he fares. I mean, Anthony Richardson just going off of week one alone looks like a Heisman front runner. Like that dude was crazy. That one play he made where he did that pump fake spin move, and then found the guy like wide open. That was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I don't even know like how I would do that on Madden. So <laughs> fair enough. Uh, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I just kind of hyped up Miami's and Florida's quarterbacks. Should I just delete this and start over? (laughs) Uh, But anyway, I mean, there are are a bunch of quarterbacks this year that could potentially um, stake their claim to the top spot. One guy who didn't make a good impression was Devin Leary, the quarterback for NC State. Did not really have a good game against East Carolina. I mean, they barely won. That game, they really should have lost that game. And a big reason why is that he did not perform to the standards that uh, were being, or I guess the expectations that were being set for him. I mean, NC State was promoting him as his Heisman candidate, like one of the top quarterbacks in the country. He did not perform that way at all. So that was a little disappointing for sure. But yeah, there are a lot of, I'm sure there are other quarterbacks that I haven't named 
as well. But it'll be very interesting to see as this season continues to shake out, who's going to be able to separate themselves from the pack? Is there going to be one guy who just completely like does a Joe Burrow and completely outplays all of the rest of the quarterbacks into that top draft choice? And Burrow is a great example because nobody was really expecting anything out of him. So who knows? Maybe it could just be some some guy we weren't really thinking of. Maybe it could be like an Anthony Richardson type. Who knows? But that that's one of the things I'm I'm looking for is out of all the quarterbacks, like who's going to solidify themselves as number one. So I'm glad you mentioned Anthony Richardson because that plays into my like second thing to watch out for. I'm sorry, <laughs> my brother. I gotta I gotta say it. University of Florida. <laughs> it's going to be interesting this year. Here's why: Anthony Richardson. <laughs> Like you said, dude looked insane. Uh, electric, another like dual threat. We're talking about 168 yards passing, 106 yards on the ground, and three rushing touchdowns. And context matters. Florida was unranked preseason, and they were going up against number seven ranked Utah. This is a team that a lot of people were saying had playoff aspirations going into this season. Uh, <laughs> probably not anymore. Uh, this is the first time Anthony Richardson is starting a season as like the guy at quarterback. And that's a tough game to like have your start against. But he impressed Uh, 29 to 26 victory against against Utah. And after being unranked, Florida is now at number 12. And listen to these four games they've got on their schedule this coming week, week two, they'll be facing number 20, Kentucky. Week four, uh, they have Tennessee, who's currently ranked number 24. Hey, Tennessee fans, congratulations, you're ranked again. I mean, Hendon Hooker looks nice, whatever. And you can have Michigan's recyclable sin, Joe Milton. Uh, then week nine, we have Georgia. I'm, I'm sorry, Florida fans, that's where it's coming to an end, in all likelihood. But if you survive all that, a big if. You then have the next week, Texas A&M. The, the small silver lining here is that Texas A&M game is the only one that I've mentioned that isn't a home game for Florida. So you got those three huge games in the swamp, and then you go to Texas A&M. If you win those four games, I'm saying there's a chance. If you can beat Georgia, you can damn well beat anybody this year. So... Week nine, um, I'm I'm optimistic about Florida. If Florida can go these first eight weeks without just tremendously messing up, right, and winning a few like big games, that Georgia game in week nine is going to be intense. Yeah, and Florida Georgia is already intense, right? But I think it's been a while since Florida was actually relevant in that game, and. Yeah, if if they continue to play as well as they played in week one, then that could potentially be a very interesting game. And who knows, maybe they could strike the upset. Uh, I don't think that they would be able to do so, but you never know. It's college football. But yeah, that the SEC is just so tough <laughs> with some of these schedules. And that kind of leads into one of my talking points, too which is there are a couple of teams whose schedules I wanted to highlight. Uh, first of all, Texas A&M was one of those. And I mean, this is a gauntlet, like especially for a team that I think doesn't really have the star power and, and the names that you would expect that you would hear from, you know, from Georgia, from Alabama, uh, from, from Ohio state, a lot of these guys, well, I guess just sec, uh, they just don't really have a bunch of these these dudes. I mean, Anaya Smith had a really good game in week one, but listen to their schedule. So they've got App State this week, which... Uh-oh. I mean, they scored 40 points in the fourth quarter, so <laughs> that'll be a test for, for this defense, that's for sure. Then they've got Miami in one of these interesting ACC-SEC matchups. Then they've got Arkansas the next week. So both of those games are at home. And we've talked about both of their quarterbacks already on this episode. Uh-huh. 
So Mississippi State, whatever. Then they have Alabama away, and we've already been hyping that game up for a while. Jimbo versus Nick Saban, the rematched. All eyes are going to be on that game during that week. That's That one's going to be crazy. Then the South Carolina, whatever. Then they've got Ole Miss, and then they've got Florida. And then Auburn after that, which is never going to be a pushover. And then they end the season at LSU or with LSU coming to College Station. So there are only a few teams that I didn't mention in there, like easy ones like UMass. Basically, like that's it. Even like South Carolina. I mean, I don't think that they're going to do anything, but still, like that that is a gauntlet to run. That that is crazy. Especially, I mean, that Alabama game is really what it comes down to. Like you were saying for Florida. That Georgia game is what it comes down to. But that one's kind of more like mainstream. How about BYU's schedule? Which, this is one of their last seasons as an independent. Uh, they're going to be joining the Big 12, which will be interesting. Uh, trying to replace Oklahoma and Texas. We'll see how how well they do with that. Um, but they've got some really big... I mean, they kind of swung for the fences here. They're facing number 9 Baylor this upcoming weekend. Then they've got Oregon, which would have been a bigger game if Oregon put up more of a fight and then just roll over <laughs> against Georgia. Um, a few weeks later, they've got Notre Dame at South Bend. That's a tough one. And then immediately after that, they've got Arkansas at home. So, and then, I mean, they've got Boise State and Stanford as other teams that they're going to be playing as well. So, like, as far as an independent goes in this I guess every game is a non-conference game if you're an independent. But like, as far as some of these matchups, I mean, that's pretty tough. And BYU could low-key be a big factor. I mean, I don't see them making a playoff or anything, but they could definitely be a big factor in determining who might make the playoff and who and who doesn't and really shape the, or I guess where a lot of these other teams end up in their conferences like Baylor. I mean, right now, the Big 12 is kind of just open. Like no one really knows who's going to take that. It could be them. Uh, same thing for for Notre Dame. We talked about their, I mean, their struggle against Ohio State. If they're able to beat BYU and BYU's undefeated at that point, that'll be a really big win for their resume. Arkansas, if Arkansas manages to win that game, along with trying to survive the SEC gauntlet, like that could be big. So BYU kind of a, low-key under-the-radar team that could have a big effect on the playoff race um, this season. Well, I definitely agree, and I haven't, I hadn't even thought to look at BYU's schedule. But yeah, when you ran through those, it was like a lot of teams' fate will be like impacted by BYU. It's interesting how this independent team is going to play such a big role in the playoffs that they probably won't participate in themselves. Just kind of like spoiling it for other people. They're like the the diet Notre Dame. (laughs) And then they're actually playing each other, which I don't even know how often that happens where two independent teams actually like play each other. I don't know. That would be an interesting stat if somebody wants to look that up and let us know. BYU and Notre Dame. The Mormons versus the Catholics. (laughs) Let's get after (laughs) A match of Titans. (laughs) This is what we're waiting for. All right, Mike, what's your uh, final like third thing that you want to point out? Well, it wouldn't really be a college football episode of the Mike and Dave podcast without me whining about Michigan. No, I was waiting for this. I, I saved it for last because I knew you weren't going to talk about it. Not with me on the podcast, you weren't. Nah, if anything, I'll just enjoy myself and sit back as you continue to cry metaphorical tears. If not real ones. If not real ones, right. All right, man, where do I start? Okay, spoiler alert. News broke that in 2026, if not sooner, they'll be expanding the college football playoff uh, to 12 teams. We're going to talk about that later. But for the time being, we're still at four. That's tough to get into. And I think I talked about this last year. The reality of the situation is, in a four-team playoff, both Michigan and Ohio State will not make it. 
probably one of them will, right? But not both, because we're playing each other the last game of the season, every season. And let's be real. Alabama, short of monumentally screwing up, is going to make it. Georgia, short of monumentally screwing up, is not going to or is going to make it. That's two spots left if you're great at math. Do you think for a second the selection committee is going to be like, okay, we got two SEC teams. Let's just do two Big Ten teams too. No, of course not. We're not going to do that. They're going to pick one of them, the winner of that game, assuming that like Ohio State has cleared their uh, path up until Michigan. Then they're going to look at Ohio State beating Michigan, which I'll get to. And then they're going to put Ohio State in. And even if Michigan was undefeated up until that point, they're not going to put two Big Ten teams in there to fill out with two SEC teams. They'll pick the next best team that's not in either of those conferences. And then we won't make the playoffs. Now, here's where my real whining comes in. We're not going to beat Ohio State. If you were listening a little bit ago, Ohio State is insane. And, and, and we beat Ohio State last year for the fourth time this century you think it's going to happen back-to-back years with this game being in columbus it's not going to happen it's just not their quarterback is better their running backs are better and i love blake corum our running backs are good theirs are better their defense is going to be better like listen michigan has a good defense ohio states is better ronnie bell is a great receiver smith and jigba is better the where are we better than that nowhere like their coach is better I'm, I'm sure they're what, wait hang on we have a damn good kicker okay jake moody my guy um brad robbins our punter my guy with an interesting mustache now coming out looking like a prospector like i don't get it but like what are we gonna kick them into oblivion literally and metaphorically like no ohio state is coming for blood which means they're not only going to beat us they're going to summarily dismiss us on a bus right back to ann arbor and so even if we smack the other teams in the big 10 all around and and beat hawaii for some reason this saturday like 90 to nothing it's not going to matter because ohio state has had this game circled since the millisecond we beat them last year it's not going to happen so it's probably not gonna happen for a few more years. Shoot, like I thought, I thought I was gonna have some peace and quiet when Urban Meyer finally left Ohio State and Ryan Day stepped in. And he's doing just as well. Ah, okay. And he's not uh doing questionable things with another woman that's on his wife at the bar. Yeah, what a lad! Like, and I can't even be mad at him because he's not an asshole. Like, right? What? Or there's not any like any other scandals either yeah so like yeah that's tough what's what's funny about all that is that typically mike rants about michigan and i rant about florida state because while michigan has had a better last few years than florida state has it's it's been a rough go of it as at least as far as championships go like mike is still waiting for that elusive championship for one of his favorite teams he can't really claim the atlanta united and the atlanta braves once like he kind of can but not really so it's understandable it's tough um i'm what i will say is michigan doesn't have that tough of a schedule but then of course they have that beast at the end ohio state like you said so we'll see and as far as the the uh, committee not choosing two SEC and two Big Ten teams. I mean, it's kind of shaping up to be like a, those are the two best conferences. So on one hand, I can kind of see where they would just be like, well, it's just all going to be about the SEC and the Big Ten anyways. Like maybe we would actually do that, but with your luck, it probably would be like Penn state or something would get in instead. I don't even, I mean, that's probably not a great example for this year, but uh, (laughs) regardless. So like what I was saying, typically Mike rants about Michigan. I ran about Florida state. I'm not going to do that this time because my third thing to watch is 
is Florida State actually back? Question mark. Like, <laughs> like 7,301 question marks after that. Um, if y'all did not see the game against LSU this last weekend, then y'all missed out because that is one of the more entertaining games, especially for a neutral that I've ever watched live. Well, live like on TV. I wasn't there. I've got to say, that is the exact situation. That's the exact game that we would have lost last year. And not just last year, but the last like five years. And what's ironic is that it shouldn't have even been that close. We should have just run the ball in from the one yard line on a normal running play, not some stupid pitch play. Like, what are you talking like? The the play calling was not ideal. But you know what? When it mattered, our guys made plays and it was so refreshing to watch. I mean, LSU drives 99 yards. The refs screw up a call that gave them a chance to win the game with one, you know, basically one free play at the end of the game. Of course, they were going to convert. There was no way they weren't. They just drove 99 yards down the field. They had all the momentum. And then Brian Kelly, (laughs) this guy, his first game down at LSU, his chance to make his mark in the city of Baton Rouge. What does he do? He puts up the number one sign because he was pissing himself (laughs) and wouldn't actually take the risk to go for two. And what happens if y'all were watching the game at the beginning, or if if you watched the whole game, you would have seen two muffed punts by LSU. We already had blocked a field goal. So special teams was really the whole reason why Florida State was ahead. I mean, they did a bunch of other nice things too, but like this was an issue. And then what do we do? We block the extra point with no time left on the clock to win the game by one point. What a finish that was. And I've got to say, Mike Norvell, I mean, he's he's had a couple years. I think this is his third year. And it's it's been pretty bad. It's been pretty rough to watch, especially last year some of those losses that we had were were terrible. I mean, we we had that great game against Notre Dame in in the opener and Mackenzie Milton came back and from that devastating injury that he had led a touchdown drive, all of that. It wasn't enough, we lost. This game had similar vibes. I thought for sure, oh, it's just going to be the same old thing, but it wasn't. We had guys making plays when it mattered. And sure like we should have never been in that position to begin with. But I mean, for a large portion of the game, Florida State was in control. Offensive line was better. Receivers making plays. Our quarterback, Jordan Travis, I think has actually decided to work on his passing and his decision-making. And he was starting to look a lot better too. I mean, his scrambling has always been great, but passing-wise, he's been he just showed a lot of improvement in that game. So overall, like, I'm I'm optimistic. I mean, maybe... I'm not I, now. I'm not saying Florida State's like back back because if we, if we did that, then we would be in the playoff conversation because that's those were the standards at Florida State a decade ago. Now, a winning season, I would take that. Um, like nine wins, I would take that. And here's the thing: I think Florida State needs that to get back to where you know that's kind of the first step in getting us back to where we need to be and. Fans around college football say whether or not they like Florida State, college football is better when Florida State's good. And really, the ACC needs Florida State to be good because with all this kind of re- all this realignment happening and these uh, universities moving to the Big Ten, the SEC, even the Big Twelve, like it's it's tough for the Pac-12 and the ACC right now. Florida State needs to get their act together and you know, with Clemson, with Miami show that the ACC, the ACC still has something to say. So yeah, I'm excited about the rest of the season. Finally, we won. And on that big stage like that in a quote, neutral site, which was in, it was literally the Louisiana kickoff game 
but it was in the Superdome in New Orleans. Like, sure. It's just like the Georgia game, where it was a neutral site. It was at Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta. Like, come on now. Why even bother at that point? But all that to say, yeah, Florida State, maybe we're back. A lot of question marks. But hey, at least I had that one really great moment for this season. I'm happy. Everybody just hold on for a few episodes. We'll see how long that optimism like lasts this season. Uh yeah, I agree with a lot of things you said. First of all, this neutral this neutral stadium bullshit. If you're watching the Georgia game, yeah, you probably didn't see a lot of green and yellow in the in the audience. Yeah. A whopping what? Like eighty miles away from from the hedges? Like Oh yeah, that's a big commute. It's very comparable to to like going from freaking the other coast of this nation to watch a football game that you know you're gonna lose. Like, come on, how is that neutral? I mean, across the Mississippi, whatever. Uh, second of all, yeah, college football is better when Florida State is good, and the ACC does need this. I mean, remember last year when we did our college football hot takes this is like episode 11 or so one of yours was the acc is the worst conference in football or in college football rather and you know that was saying something because for a while there the acc was looking nice i mean look at clemson (laughs) but yeah clemson not good last year uh pick any team in the acc not good last year (laughs) pretty much Pitt, pitt and wake forest were like the best of the ACC. And when that's the case, then it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. And, and the way, like the way just the nature of recruiting works, it's so cyclical. Like you, you start losing a bunch of games, your culture is bad. Recruits don't want to go there. Recruits don't want to go there. You don't get good classes. You don't get good classes. You don't put good talent on the, on the field. You don't put good talent on the field. You don't win games. You don't win games. Good players don't want to go there, so on and so forth. So the problem is, like, in order to turn programs around, you have to win big games with lesser recruits, like so to speak, so that better recruits will want to come back. So these are the types of games that, like Florida State, for example, does need to win. And so I think this is a, a big step. Even if they only win, like, six games this year, like, it's wins like this that I think prospects can look at as like, oh, you know, I, I went to that game, you know. Uh, oh, I was an LSU fan, or I was thinking of going to LSU, but I went to that game, and you know, Florida State convinced me. Man, you pull prospects. Like, this is an important step there. So, completely agree there. So yeah, so those are our uh, things to watch in the upcoming weeks, and some of them are just kind of for this season. So now, something that we'll be looking for potentially two years down the road, potentially four years down the road, the expanded playoff. Which was it? Just kind of it was very interesting how this all came about. We were hearing about is are the playoffs going to be expanded for you know f- for for years? We've been hearing like oh they're meeting, uh, they couldn't agree. We we're not sure exactly when they're going to agree to expand the playoff. Blah blah blah. And kind of all of a sudden, it's kind of low key. There's not a ton of media attention, and then all of a sudden, boom they're in agreement like they're they're cool to to expand it to 12 teams and i think a big part of that was some of the realignment that we've seen we're going to give some thoughts on this expanded playoff mike when this news was announced what was your first reaction damn (laughs) something like that like we've talked about this a little bit in the past but, you know, at the time, it was just sort of floating the idea out there. Oh, you know, we should make it more than four. And in those conversations, we'd kind of gone back and forth about, you know, I don't know what the right number is going to be. And and the 12 is what caught my eye there. You know, I was, ex- I would have guessed that when they expanded it, it would have gone to like eight, 10, you know, something like that. So 12, a little more than I was expecting. And, and so... You know, one thing that I've thought about a little bit was like, okay, we're talking about the 12 seed 
Well, Oregon was the 11 seed, and they just got monkey stomped by UGA. Uh, is that a problem? No, I, I don't think it is. Uh, here's why. Like, okay, you go into the playoffs, you're the 11 seed or whatever, you get shit on. Okay, whatever. You think people aren't going to watch that game anyway? <laughs> like, what's the what's the harm in that game? Um, so I looked back at last year, the, the end of last season, if they had like put in this playoff format last year, here's the first round of games or what the first round of games would have been. Notre Dame would have played Pitt, Ohio state would have played Utah and Baylor would have played Michigan state. Do you think those games would have gotten bad viewership? It's college football. People tune in to watch Troy play football every week. Like, people are going to watch college football. That's going to engage a greater part of this country. You get, because it's so widespread. I mean, just think about those six teams I listed out. Utah, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Baylor, Michigan State. These are in different parts of the country completely. Well, some of them. And that's not even counting the four teams that would have gotten first-round buys. UGA, Michigan, Alabama. Cincinnati, right? The games would have been getting great viewership. And I think once you get to that number 12, right? Let's say they had expanded it to eight. There's going to be that conversation between eight and nine. Oh, well, how did you decide on eight instead of us being eight or whatever? We got left out at nine. If you're crying about not getting 12, you didn't have a chance. I'm sorry. And and maybe someday we'll see a 12 win. That would be insane. First of all, it's in- incredibly unlikely. But second of all, it would be crazy. Because it's going to be single elimination, theoretically anything could happen. Um, so you're giving more teams a chance with theoretically increased or decreased predictability. Those are two of the things that make March Madness so great in college basketball. I... I don't want to see this go past 12. I think at that point, it's just kind of getting like, eh, you know, um, but I'm happy with this and it would solve the problem. I was bitching about earlier with uh, Michigan, not making the playoffs. Uh, this would give us, I mean, now I'm just being selfish, but this would give us like a little bit of insurance. Like, okay, once we get our asses handed to us by Ohio state, they probably won't knock us down to 12. If that's our only loss. So we're, we're fine. We'll get beaten out of the playoffs later. Wow, what a what a positive thought that is. <laughs> uh, one of my that was one of my points as well. Um, fun matchups, you know, like we're we're seeing a little bit more of this now, where some of these teams are playing each other, like BYU and Notre Dame, or Miami and Arkansas, or like some of these like random matchups that you just wouldn't really think about uh, playing each other. So, I think it's an opportunity for to see some games that you wouldn't normally see. And like you said, like there's going to be a possibility of an upset or two every year. I don't expect there to just be like a clean sweep of games every single season where the top, or I guess, you know, the top four teams get the buy. Then the next four always beat the the four below them. You know what I mean? So there definitely is, at least it creates the possibility of an upset, which if you're not the fan of that team, People generally want to see upsets, right? So I think that's a really positive thing. One other thing, no one really cares about bowl games anymore. Like back in the day, it used to be you would play the Rose Bowl for the national championship. And it would actually like mean something or there was no playoff. And so your bowl game was your chance to even though it wasn't the national championship, it was your chance to shine. Now it's like, if you don't make the playoff, it's just like, eh. Then you've got the issues of these players opting out, not playing in the bowl games because they don't want to get hurt for the draft, all of that. You think these players are going to opt out any of these like top teams, the top 12 teams in the country, if it's a playoff matchup? Absolutely not. So you're going to see a lot more of the best players on the field, which of course everybody wants to see. Like I said, it's good for the game. There are fun matchups, possibility of an upset or two every year. And with the new rules, the winner of each of the big five conferences 
gets an automatic slot in the playoff. So with all of this realignment happening with the exodus of teams from the Pac-12, even from the Big 12, and who knows, the ACC could potentially start seeing that as, as well. There's still an incentive for teams to stick around in the presumed worst conferences because like take Clemson, for instance, maybe Clemson's like, all right, I want to be with the big boys. I want to be in the SEC. Then you have to compete with Georgia, with Alabama, with Florida, with Texas A&M, all, all these powers where in the ACC, who are you competing with? Miami, a depleted Florida state, like Pitt, Wick Forest, Virginia Tech. Like it's just not that big of a deal. And you know that Every single year, you're going to have a pretty good chance of winning the ACC, and you're going to get to be one of those, probably one of those buys, if not at least one of like the top, you know, five spots. So, I think that will potentially help with some of this conference realignment and and preventing these like super conferences, which personally I don't want to see at all, but. So I think that should be helpful too, especially for all these teams that do decide to stick around. Hey, maybe one of these teams has a really good year in the Pac-12 and then surprises everybody, gets one of the top four spots, gets a bye, and then who knows what happens. So there's that. And then my last thing, which kind of goes off what you were saying too about what the matchups would have been last year. So the college football playoff has been around for a few years, right? So based on the past rankings for the college football playoff since it's been in existence 41 different programs would have reached the playoff at least one time with every conference except conference usa represented at least once so all these people that are saying like oh well it'll it would it's just always the the sec every year and then the big 10 and then maybe a team from the acc or whatever would get in you've got basically every conference that would have been represented at this point in 41 different programs. It's not just going to be Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson, and UGA every single year with maybe like one team like Cincinnati or whatever, like getting in and being that fourth seed. No, you're going to have a bunch of the best teams in the country be able to play each other. And you're not going to have a UCF that's like crying and holding their uh, own national championship parade when they didn't actually win the national championship. Like you're not going to have to deal with that crap anymore. So I know for one, I'll be happy about that. So overall, like I think it's it's really great. I I'm not sure if I would have gone with 12 teams necessarily. I think maybe it should have been a little bit smaller. But at the same time, college football is a countrywide sport, and so it kind of makes sense with all of these different teams. It kind of makes sense to have a bigger playoff format to match that. Where even in like the professional leagues. At this point, it's like in the NBA, like over half the teams make the playoffs, which is crazy. So if you're comparing those two, it really does, it really isn't crazy to think that 12 teams can make the playoffs in college football. It's funny. UCF was the only note that I had in mind left to say. Like, do we really want another like early 2018 UCF nonsense thing happening? I know I don't. And actually, that's one thing that I've kept coming back to, like when we talked about the playoffs last year, I was like, yeah, let's Cincinnati in because if you don't, we're going to have another UCF situation, anything to avoid those situations. And like we said, like we both said, if you're the 13th seed, shut the hell up. Like no one cares about your little parade, but, but if you're the five or the six, that's, that's legit. You know? So I'm glad that we're going to put an end to those complaints I, I like this. I think this is only positive for the game. For sure. So that's going to wrap up our college football kickoff segment. Excited to see what the rest of the season holds. Mike may not be quite so excited about Michigan's fate, but that's going to be every single year until they win. So uh, true. There aren't, there aren't going to be any shockers on, on this podcast about that. So when we come back, we'll get into the hot seat and the fun facts to so stick around. All right, so we deprived you on the last episode of the hot seat. So it seems only fair that we give you not one, 
but two additions to the hot seat this time. And they're still college football themed. We're holding true to what we said at the beginning of the episode. So Dave, why don't you give them the first member of this episode's hot seat? All right, so I mentioned this game briefly earlier, and I don't want to pile on this guy too much, but East Carolina kicker Owen Daffer basically blew the game for the Pirates in what would have been a huge upset win for them against NC State. He missed an extra point to tie the game with 2 minutes and 58 seconds left in the fourth quarter. That's bad enough. He then gets a chance for redemption. Four seconds left. Chance to win the game with a 42-yard field goal. Misses it. NC State wins. It would have been basically a walk-off win for East Carolina, but this guy can't get it done, and that's how they start their season. Absolutely brutal. I feel for the guy. Still, when you have that chance to to upset what's probably a rival of theirs and just to, you know, start your season off in that way and you blow it like that, like you're not going to avoid getting on the hot seat. Yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely a rough outing. And yeah, like you said, hate to pile it on the guy, but ouch. Now I want to talk about a different game just being blown. Um, Clemson, Georgia Tech. Clemson starts the season ranked number four. And against Georgia Tech, they mm, they did not look like a number four team. Don't let the final score of this game fool you. I mean, if you just look up the box score, oh, 41 to 10. Yeah, that's not bad, whatever. It, mm-mm, that doesn't tell the full story. First of all, a scoreless first quarter. Number four in the nation facing unranked Georgia Tech. This is like a three-win-per-year team, and you can't score out of the gate. Yellow flag, right? Um, Georgia Tech's defense is nice, okay? I Let me be the first to tell you, because I'm sure you're not hearing it elsewhere. That pass rush, nice. The edge rushers on the run, nice. Clemson couldn't run. This is the opposite of what I was saying about Ohio State earlier. Just like, take the opposite of that speech. Clemson couldn't get really anything going offensively. Uh, Georgia Tech was just stifling them. It was awesome. You know? Uh, My girlfriend's a Georgia Tech fan, so naturally, you know, we're watching that game. We're uh, pulling for them in this, in what would have been this really crazy upset victory. And I was just like, where's all this coming from? Why this like insane edge rusher decided to go to Georgia Tech? What does he like want to be an astronaut? Like what's going on? Uh, anyway, I don't know if I'm to blame Jeff Collins or Chip Long in his offensive coordinating at Georgia Tech debut. That was potentially the worst offensive play calling I've seen in my entire life. I think the only thing I can definitively put above that is when the Falcons didn't run the ball in the Super Bowl in the second half. It was that bad. Like, I was saying this before the episode, before we started recording, but I could effectively write their playbook on one sticky note. It was pathetic. Here's what they did. Check this out. First play of the game. They launched the ball deep gets picked off that apparently scared the shit out of them because from that point on first down run up the middle and get shut down maybe a one or two yard gain okay second down empty back set it's either a wide receiver screen or a halfback slip screen and you it may well may as well have flipped a coin on whether or not it was going to work sometimes it got nine yards and sometimes it got blown up like then we're facing, you know, assuming this is one of the times where it didn't work, we're now facing third and like 14, right? So then they do one of three things. A, get sacked. B, try another wide receiver screen. Or C, throw it, remember, third and 14-ish? Throw the ball about six yards forward 
and then get stopped like three yards short of a first and then punt. That That is Georgia Tech's offense the entire game. And they get a punt blocked. And like that's actually what opened the gates for Clemson. Like they weren't even driving down the field. They had to like block a punt and then get drilled out of bounds at like the two just to be in scoring position finally. Georgia Tech also kicker struggled a little bit. Um, it's just like your defense was doing everything it could to put you in a position to pull off this crazy upset win and you blew it. And this is your first game as an offensive coordinator. Also, also chip long, his title is offensive coordinator slash tight ends coach. I didn't see a tight end involved in that game. What You're letting your positional group down, man. What is happening? Like, uh, this was awful. Just if if Jeff Collins wants to keep his job as head coach of Georgia Tech, he is not acting like it. First of all, it didn't help that their best player, especially on offense, Jameer Gibbs, transfers to Alabama. Maybe they were just like, oh, maybe we'll just try some of these running plays that were working last year. And because Gibbs is so talented, he was making it like he was going ahead and, and getting way more yards than he should have. But you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Willie Taggart's brief reign at FSU where all it was was wide receiver screens that didn't get any yards and super conservative run plays and occasionally throwing it deep. So yeah, completely agreed on that one. And it's just, I feel like in those situations, you got to just kind of go for it. You know, I think in that position, you got to try to win the game. Oh, and that's not even to mention, I don't even want to get into it, but just look into like the debacle of him. Like Jeff Collins decided to basically let the clock run out when he had forced Clemson into a punting situation to end the first half when he could have in theory gotten the ball back in time to try and score. And then his defense for this uh, at halftime when they asked him about it was, oh, well, I thought for sure if I called a timeout that, that Dabo over there would have tried to go for it. What a way to say I don't trust my defense that's been balling this whole time. Is there an opposite of Coach of the Year award? Because I want to preliminarily give it to Jeff Collins after week one. That wraps up talking about a couple people that we were very unimpressed by. However, let's flip the script and be impressed. Because it's time, once again, for Dave's fun fact. What do you got this time? Well, in the grand return of Dave's fun fact, after one episode off. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> here we go. My fun fact of the episode is, the International Space Station is closer to Earth than San Francisco is to Los Angeles. That pause was all of your minds being blown. I mean, yeah. What? I mean, first of all, I don't I don't own a map or like a globe or anything, so I don't know. Like California is a lot of state. How far apart are San Francisco and Los Angeles in the first place? San Francisco is three hundred and eighty three miles away from LA. So like yes, California is definitely a very long state. There's no denying that. However, it's kind of crazy in comparison. The International Space Station is 254 miles above Earth's surface. So you've got a difference of, quick math, like 129 miles or something difference. So I guess it's one, it's one thing because we just think of space as so far away. But actually, if you just drive from San Francisco, not even all the way to LA, but somewhere in the middle, then that's the equivalent of how far away the space station is from Earth. That's wild to me. Like, huh. I mean, I think that's a short fun fact, but it's also like one of the more mind-blowing ones. Hey, I'm not always going to drag this out into like 10 minutes of rambling on. I know that's one of my trademarks, but 
I mean, that's just kind of one of those things we do on the Mike and Dave podcast. We talk far too long about things that need not be talked about that long. Hey, but you know what? What are podcasts for? But just talking about whatever. And so that's what we do. And I think that's a good place to go ahead and wrap up this episode. As always, we appreciate you listening. I hope that you are also as excited for the rest of the college football season as we are, unless I'm assuming you're an Oregon fan, (laughs) in which case I apologize for what everything that we've said so far. Um, Y'all will be fine. I'm sure. Maybe we'll see. But anyways, as always, you can, uh, if you haven't already, uh, you can subscribe to us on uh, Apple podcasts, Google play, or Spotify. And if you would give us a five-star rating slash review, we would really appreciate it. That would help us get our podcast out to more people. So more people could hear us rambling and more, more people could know that crazy fun fact. So why not share the love? If you haven't already follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Mike and Dave pod. That would also be a good place to share the page uh, to get it out to more people as well. With all that being said, I think that's all for episode 37. As always, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. Alexander on the beat.